Welcome to Clean Break, the weekly life transitions podcast, where we share the stories and experiences of professionals that help families create a new path for themselves. Find all the answers about the many complex questions about transitioning your life through relationship separation, starting a new career, having babies, and many other life transitions. Find out more at mycleanbreak.ca. Here are your hosts, Darren and Tina. Hello again, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us on Clean Break, the podcast. I'm Darren Javog, and in the co-pilot seat, I'm going to keep calling it co-pilot because I, I like I the like co-pilot. It. Yeah, I like it. In the co-pilot seat is <laughs> Tina Murray, as always. Tina, nice to see you again. That is awesome to be back again in the seat, in the hot seat. Yeah, it's and fun. again, we keep on saying, you know, like we're getting close to that 100 mark. We, we might even be over the yeah. 100 mark now yeah. for episodes, so That's we're still going awesome. strong. We are. We joked about it. We were saying it's kind of like luggage, can't get rid of us. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I know. It's like, but anyway. you know what? The problem is, is that luggage gets lost a lot. Yeah, and beaten up. So and like a warm. bad rash. Maybe we can't get rid of a bad rash. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. All right. But what the point is, we're still around. We're still making episodes. We're still laughing about it. We're still it. laughing about it. We're getting. Yeah. I think we're getting better at it because I think we're getting more listeners. So that's well, pretty cool. And you and I know what we're doing. A little bit, Better. at least we're at least we're faking it more, because <laughs> this isn't our day job, right? No, Just remember, it's not our no. day job. Although you know what, I'd love this to be my day job. I would love uh, this kind maybe of stuff. Maybe when I'm retired, which kind of brings us. A, oh, did you like that oh, little plug into what's yeah. going on today? You are doing really well. I'm getting better at yeah, it, right? Like dropping the mic. Drop the mic, yeah. yeah. That, so, because the topic today yes. is about retirement. Retirement. The psychology of retirement. Interesting. And our guest is Dr. Riley Moines. He is a an author. He is a financial wizard. You know what was really interesting when I was reading his bio? I'm going to actually read this. Sure. Because yeah. I because I don't always read the bios, but this one was really diverse. So Dr. Moines has enjoyed a distinguished career spanning four decades in both public and private sectors. In public education, he served as a department head, a superintendent, and director of education. He also authored several textbooks, including A History of Russia, Timely, and A World <laughs> Religions Text. In the private sector, he was a founding partner of Asante Wealth Management, which you work with in your day-to-day -day life, author of a book entitled The Money Coach, which enjoyed sales of over 200,000 copies, which you've released a book and now... Hopefully, we'll get to that mark. Yeah. And co-author of several editions of Top Funds. Since stepping back from day-to-day -day involvement in financial services, Dr. Moynes researches and writes reader-friendly publications on topics of general interest and presents workshops across the country based on those publications. One of his most recent books, The Four Phases of Retirement, became a, became a Canadian bestseller within 12 months of its publication and is one of the things we're going to touch on today. So welcome Dr. Moines to the show today. There he is. Hey Riley. Hi. Hi. Uh, it's so exciting. Like when I was reading this, I'm like, oh my goodness, how do you go from this to that? And wow. You've had quite an, a distinguished career. Amazing. Wow. Thank you for joining us on the show today. My pleasure. My pleasure. Where are you physically located right now? I am in Burlington, Ontario, just west of, uh, of Toronto. I was hoping you were saying you were in Florida or Mexico or... <laughs> no, not at this moment. Have been in both, but not at this moment. 
Okay. <laughs> well, so we have some questions for you, but I want to, I just, you know, give us a little story about where you came from, how you got to where you are today. Um, well, I started out in public education, as you've, as you've noticed, um, and uh, had a number of interesting opportunities there. And uh, after about 20 years in public education, I uh, decided that I was uh, interested in doing something different, something related, but slightly different. I became interested in and became involved in financial services area and founded uh, my own little mutual fund company and uh, uh, within a few years joined another company which within a few years uh, hooked up with Loring Ward Investment Council to create Asante Wealth Management. Spent about 20 years working uh, in that milieu and uh, over the last several years have had the opportunity to work my way through the four phases of retirement and uh, have been able to share those phases with uh, thousands of other people for which I'm very grateful. I just wish I knew then what I know now about the <laughs> challenges, true. the psychological challenges that mm. come with retirement. And so I spend uh, much of my time uh, uh, discussing and uh, chatting about those psychological challenges. Hmm. You know, I, I think as a person who is not really close to retirement, but definitely it's, you know, we're you doing... see it down the road. Yeah. I can see it, you know, yeah. and, and my husband is, is a few years older than I am and he's got about four and a half years left. So, you know, I've got eight years or so, which is pretty close, I guess, that I want to retire and I don't know that I'll ever actually retire. I think I'll mm -hmm. probably just slow down. But, you know, you hear about people who say they've retired and all these things they didn't expect. And I always thought retirement was all just about the money. Really? Right, right. Right. All yeah. we we exactly. we think about the strategic planning of what mm -hmm. we do to retire, and it's all about the money. So to to read this, it's the psychology and the four phases of retirement. Mm -hmm. That totally blew me away mm -hmm. when I was reading that. I'm like, okay, tell me about it. What 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 are the four phases of sight of? I've read the book, by the way. Oh, four. Yeah, <laughs> okay, so. well, I'm gonna read it as soon as we're done here. Well, let me let me give you a, a brief overview then, if I if I can. And as I say. Uh, again, I wish I knew then what I know now because uh, it would have made life much easier for me as well. You're right. Most people concentrate on the financial part of it, and they think that that's what, it, what it's all about. Mm -hmm. uh, phase one, I, I refer to as the vacation phase, and that's the phase that most people associate with an ideal retirement. It's relaxing, uh, having fun, traveling, all these sorts of things. And that's an important part of retirement for most people. But the interesting thing that I discovered is that within a couple of years, I got bored. I got a little bit depressed. And I wondered, is that all there is to retirement? And I discovered that fortunately, it's not all there is to retirement, but that there are some bumpy times ahead. So phase one vacation phase lasts for a year or so, and then we move on into phase two, which is the time that I've discovered that we suffer five significant losses. Hmm. Uh, we lose our routine, which many people uh, have become accustomed to. They, mm -hmm. They're not sure that they like it all that much when they're forced to adhere to it, but, but when we lose it, we've really lost something. People, in many cases, identify their worth with their job. 
And when the job is gone, many feel a loss of self-worth. We lose a lot of the relationships that we had established on the, uh, on, on the job. And we lose a sense of purpose that many people get from their job. And finally, we lose, some people at least, lose a sense of power that has come with the job. So all of these things are lost at the same time. Mm. And as a result, it can be a very difficult time for period uh, for, for, for most peer people. And in fact, the Mayo Clinic indicated that, that they believe that there was a 40% chance that uh, retirees would suffer some form of clinical depression. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's a time as well when in, in many cases, uh, we also face divorce. Mm-hmm. It's a very difficult time in phase two. And interestingly enough, the highest rate of suicide in Canada today is men over 75. I never knew that. So phase two, tough, tough period. Hmm. Fortunately, though, most people finally say to themselves, hey, I I can't go on like this. I don't want to spend the rest of my life, which, by the way, for many of us, could be one-third of our lives Mm -hmm. in retirement. Mm -hmm. 30 years, one-third of our lives. Astounding changes over the last last few, few decades. And so when people come to that point of saying, hey, I can't go on like this, this is horrible, I've got to do something, and they do. And that leads them into phase three, which I describe as the phase of trial and error. Mm -hmm. And in effect, people are asking themselves, what can I do that will allow me to, frankly, contribute to make my life feel like it's worthwhile living again? And so that involves a lot of experimentation and testing and trying new activities, trying to find what I might call the sweet spot, something that's going to make them want to get up in the morning again and really mm-hmm. feel that they're, that they're living the way they want to live in retirement. And then finally, phase four, not everyone reaches phase four, but those who do are some of the happiest people that I have ever known. Uh, for those people, they have asked themselves the question, hey, what's the mission here? What's my purpose? How can I squeeze all the juice out of retirement? Yeah. And what I've discovered is that it often involves service to others. Hmm. It doesn't have to be a volunteer job, but it can be. Mm-hmm. But it involves often service to others in whatever form that might take, whether it's helping a charity, whether it's becoming involved in who knows what. But it's, it's, it's something that you love to do something that you have traditionally done well and gives you a real sense of purpose. Mm. And for those people who reach phase four, it's a wonderful time of life. Not everybody does. And for others, it can be a challenge for sure. Um, You know, you hear about people that, you know, retire and die. Mm. Right. Yep, yep. So they've, you know, everybody works so hard and, and the end goal is to retire and then they die. Yep. And is that part right. of the psychological? I mean, obviously there are health issues, but is that sort of part of that psychological mm-hmm. component? Well, I, I think it is, uh, Tina, because you see, uh, they think that retirement is relaxing, playing golf every day, having fun in the sun, having no routine. And it is for a while, mm-hmm. but for the longest part of their retirement, it is not. Mm-hmm. And for people who can't move beyond that phase, or worse still, can't move beyond phase two, they have nothing to live for. 
right. and so mm-hmm. they die. Mm-hmm. Right. I I usually talk about phase yeah. one when I'm so interesting. Uh, point is uh, Riley your book came to me when I was doing uh, uh, um, I was doing workshops right and uh, what I did was I integrated your book as, as, as a kind of like a wrap-up at the end of my workshop to tell people because I was talking about retirement and taxes right mm-hmm. and 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 you know as advisors one of the big things that people want to know about is am I gonna have enough money right and and what does my estate look like you know like what am I gonna pass on So, you know, we go through all the technical stuff and explaining strategies and how to minimize taxes and and how how to figure out if you're going to have enough money and stuff like that. But what I found is when I was doing my workshops is that a lot of times the real value came from the conversation of, well, before I know how much if you're going to have enough money. Tell me a little bit about what you're going to do with the money. Like, what is the dream? Like, what is it you're, what is it you want to do? And and what I found was I was listening to all these stories and what people really wanted to do. Travel was a big thing and fun fun cars, the red sports car, and <laughs> and that was all great too. One thing I found though was, and then I would keep I'd keep prodding people and say and. And, and it was very limited as to yeah. what they would talk about. And I thought to myself, okay, there's, there's got to be more to this because the phase one is really the chocolate cake, right? So people look at the chocolate cake and they see that big slice of chocolate cake that they want to eat. And then they eat it. And they're so happy they got it, right? Problem, they go in for a second slice. No, it's not so good anymore, right? right? They've had that first slice and they're like, okay, this is kind of making me a little bit ill. And that's where Riley, I see, Mm -hmm. you know, your phase two because they're kind of sick of phase one and they've had enough, right? So this is how Mm -hmm. I was positioning it in my my workshops, right? right? But I really like your book. I really like, sorry, I kind of hijacked that. No, 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 that was great. I love that. Um, and I'm not sure. So we were we were ask. talking about the depression part yeah. and not having the purpose. Yeah. Right. So. Um. Okay. Yeah. So that was my next question. When when you talk about like the phases, you talk about to- specific time frames, but not everybody will go through those time frames at the same time, right? No, no, they won't go through them at the same time frame, and they won't necessarily go through them in the same uh, depth. Uh, you know, we're talking, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of providing a, a, an overall framework and recognizing that that different people will spend different lengths of time in these different phases. And fr- frankly, it's, I mean, I, I believe that this framework is applicable to about 80 to 85% of people. Mm. Right. But there are some people who don't fit the pattern. And my experience with those who don't fit the pattern is, first of all, people who have, during their working career, found uh, an activity or a hobby that they are passionate about. Mm -hmm. And they generally kind of move from uh, phase one into phase four, where they can kind of act upon their passion and they can just act upon it Uh, more broadly they can spend more time doing Mm -hmm. what they've always loved to do whether it be photography or whether it be it it doesn't really matter what it is but some people have got something that that allows them to skip phase phases two and phase three the other group of people that I find can sometimes avoid those two phases uh, are are, um, entrepreneurs people who perhaps own their own businesses, 
who enjoy what they have been doing. They just want to do a little bit less, less of, of it. it. Yes. And that's just fine, too. The key is <laughs> to do what you love to do mm-hmm. and to do it on your own time frame. And if you've already discovered what that is, mm-hmm. more power to you. Yeah. But 85% of people just focus on phase one mm-hmm. and they get feel like they've been hit by a bus when they're in phase two. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's funny because I I am in my early 50s and, you know, of course I am doing my retirement planning and I am self-employed and and all those things. But my my 20-year-old actually is working for me full time. And, and he is part of my succession planning for retirement, <laughs> right? Um, but sure. he keeps saying to me, why don't you just retire already? Why don't you just retire already? And I'm like, you know, as mm-hmm. much as I say I'm, I'm my retire or semi-retire when dad retires, I'm not going to retire because I like doing what I do mm-hmm. or I'm going to find something else mm-hmm. to do. I like to volunteer. Mm-hmm. It's always been something I've, you know, as an adult, pretty much I've done. So why would I stop mm-hmm. doing that? I'll just have more time to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Riley, would you say Gotta that- have things that make you want to get up in the morning again. Absol- that's, that's the key. Absolutely. Things that make you want to get up in the morning again. Yeah. You know, just let me tell this one little story. Oh, yeah, sure. My mom, when she retired, she retired, you know, she had two months of like back pay or whatever you want to call it, right? So she re- so she technically worked her last day in August, but her first retirement day wasn't till the end of October. So she was working in a hospital and she literally could not volunteer while she was still employed there. And the day after she retired, she started volunteering there. <laughs> and honestly, over the Good last, uh, you know, 13 or 14, 15 years, she has volunteered more than I think she worked there. <laughs> So, because she loves what she does, it keeps her going. Yeah, it keep it gets her up in the morning. And exactly, Riley, do you let me let me ask you something? When it comes to, do you feel that people maybe are working longer because they don't feel like they're they're? Do you feel that they're working longer because they're worried about the unknown of retirement? And like like, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the statistics show that 10,000 North Americans uh, will retire today and every day for the next 10 to 15 years. This is a retirement tsunami. And what I've read is that even uh, that that as a result of the pandemic, more people are retiring earlier, perhaps, than they had planned to. Mm -hmm. So it seems that the general the general approach is that you know, people are retiring. Now, again, there are all kinds of variations and I understand that. Uh, but some people are afraid to retire, absolutely. Uh, other people, uh, you know, just don't know what what they'll do, so they keep working. But I think, again, it's kind of the 80-20, you know, the Pareto principle that I, I, I believe that the framework that I've constructed here uh, applies to 80% of the population. Mm-hmm. And and when when was this book written? What like what what uh, year what it year? Was published in 2016, 2017. Okay, so it's fairly new still. Yeah. yeah. And it's all yep. and it's all sort of very relevant. I'm assuming. Do you think that the pandemic has would would have changed things in this the four phases? I don't think it's changed the structure of the four phases. What I think it has done is to increase the numbers of people who are retiring every day 
from the kind of the traditional statistics, which show that again in North America about 10,000 a day. Uh, I, it's very difficult to quantify how that might have changed over such a short period of time. Mm -hmm. But I've read several articles that indicate that increasingly uh, people are simply retiring. They just kind of have, have had it uh, for a whole variety of reasons. And so I think those numbers, if anything, have been slightly increased rather than uh, the other way. Hmm. What's some advice that you would give someone who is thinking about retiring, whether they're doing strategic planning now for, you know, down the road or it's quite imminent? What is there any one sort of piece of advice you'd say, do this <laughs> to get you through to the other side? Other, or other maybe, than read his book. Other than read your book. <laughs> or, yeah. or to help. Well, that's prevent... always the first. Well, that's true. The first yes, read your book. We'll talk about that. The four phases but of I... retirement. <laughs> four phases of retirement. Um, but I would say that um, be aware of the fact that there are challenges that go way beyond the financial and the estate considerations. Mm -hmm. Be aware that there will be psychological changes and challenges that you don't expect that will come with retirement. So be prepared. Look for activities, involvement that will make you want to get up again in the morning. Mm -hmm. That would be my key piece of advice. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, advice. I think I and I think one time sometimes when people go through retirement and they I always say, you know, make sure that the remote's not your most important thing in retirement mm -hmm. is the remote to your TV because it's a quick and fast slide downward mm -hmm. of of, you know, you um, yep. being unhappy, mm -hmm. right? And unhappiness yep. in retirement will will lead you faster to uh, that grave that grave yeah mm -hmm. um and in the other thing the other flip side too is is regret right mm -hmm. so like looking back riley like on your life you've had a, a, an a amazing career is there anything that you regret or you'd go back in time and tell yourself you wish you could do differently um i have no reason to regret the way uh things um have unfolded for me uh, and for that i'm i'm very grateful i do I do sometimes wonder whether um, I might have chosen um, a slightly different path. I often thought about, and in fact, halfway through my career, I seriously considered uh, going back to law school. Uh, I have no idea where that might have led, but uh, and it certainly isn't a regret. It's just something that I kind of muse upon sometimes. <laughs> I've uh, not that I was interested necessarily in being a lawyer in the traditional sense, but in so many of the people that I've met or interviewed or had interactions with, I've discovered that um, so many of them have, have a law degree and they've ended up doing so many different diverse things that have little relationship to the law. Mm -hmm. And so I've always been a believer that, you know, the more kind of keys you have in your, in your, on your mm -hmm. keychain, the more doors that might present themselves that uh, can be opened. And I've encouraged my children and grandchildren to collect these keys. And in many cases, they're, you know, academic uh, uh, accreditations and that sort of thing, but experiences and so on as well. So again, if I uh, if I were to do it over again, I, I might have more seriously considered uh, uh, going to law school. Would you do mm -hmm. it now? 
Start taking courses online. (laughs) Well, I actually, actually, I I did that three or four years ago. I I thought seriously about it, and I thought about the time commitment that was involved, and it was maybe just a little bit more than I was interested in. So I, I, uh, I then seriously thought about becoming a paralegal. This was, I guess, in phase three for me when I was doing my (laughs) trial and error stuff. Uh, and I thought about that and came very close to that. And then I took, uh, I took some courses that, uh, um, at, uh, on, on uh, dispute resolution, some mm. courses actually sponsored by Harvard University. And, uh, but that all went nowhere. That was part of my trial and error. It was just something that I explored that just frankly just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, do you think that when a married couple, when one retires and reti- say one retires first and then the other one, you know, maybe several years later comes into mm-hmm. retirement. Does that have an effect on the whole process and the, the phases? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my belief is, and I can't really back it up with documentary evidence, but my, my sense is that it matters more in the case of the second retiree. I think the first retiree, you know, they're they're going to go through the phases, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. The second retiree, in my experience, has, um, you know, got some kind of a model, whether right. it's a, a positive model or, or maybe a negative model. But I believe that the second spouse who retires has some framework that they can kind of uh, fall back on mm-hmm. that the first spouse perhaps didn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I I think a lot of it is um, personalities as well, right? Because when I look at, like, Mm -hmm. even just for instance, my parents, my dad retired, I think in his like um, Mm 57-ish, police officer, health reasons. And so, um, and then my mom didn't retire till she was 65 and my Mm -hmm. dad is five years older than her. So he had been retired for a long time, right? Um, And he dabbled in some little part-time, not part-time jobs. He dabbled in um, some volunteer stuff. And yet when my mom retired, she went right into it type thing. And so do do you think that that, and they're still well and healthy and happy and everything, but do you think that has an impact on relationships as well? When one person may be that person that says, okay, we're going to go do this and this and this and this. And the other person is like, no, I'm happy to sit on the couch and stare (laughs) at the window. (laughs) Um, Again, I I can't, I can't respond to that with any kind of database uh, for sure. Uh, It certainly, it does, it does depend on the personalities of of those involved, but I guess as an overarching theme, I would just say that, those people who are most active are most happy Mm. and whatever it kind of takes to get there that i think that's just the mantra Mm -hmm. have you ever have you have you heard of people um testing out retirement at all like you know you know (laughs) dabbling dabbling in in a little bit of retirement because i know one of the books i read recently was um uh, it was uh, the four-hour work week, mm-hmm. uh, Tim Ferriss. Yeah. And one of the things he comments on is that you should take mini retirements through the year mm-hmm. where you work really hard, you work really hard and you f- totally focus for about two months and you take a month off. Mm-hmm. I and it. I was like, <laughs> right? I was like, 
testing out retirement just a little test here just trying a month off and then back at it you know and mm -hmm. i thought that was pretty intriguing mm -hmm. right have you have you heard anything about things like that riley in in the, the retirement sphere um well um no I, no i would say uh, again that 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 would be an unusual situation it would be it would be highly unusual in the dozens and dozens of interviews that I, I conducted with retirees. Um, it does bring to mind, uh, and you may know uh, Dan Sullivan of the Strategic Coach. Yep. Uh, he he um, uh, emphasizes, uh, you know, focus days and free days, and uh, not sort of months at a time, but uh, on a. On, on a smaller scale, but no, uh, my my interviews, my my research really doesn't doesn't speak to that. No, that would be okay. highly unusual in my experience. <laughs> so my goal is that when my husband retires, he's he, we we've decided we're going to do a cross country tour and get a mm -hmm. trailer, pull it along. Um, we did the East Coast, or we sorry, we did the West Coast at the beginning of COVID during the first year of COVID. So we want to do uh, like into the States and stuff. So I've kind of said that's going to be my trial retirement. <laughs> like we're probably going to take a few months, just, you know, just go. And I might work a little bit and, and let and let everybody mm -hmm. back at the office do the rest of it. That's my trial retirement. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I'd call that, I, I, I'd say that's phase one. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. I, I, I'm really, I, I, I wish we could talk about even more stuff. So the money coach, I, I'd love to just, let's talk about the money coach. What is that about? Well, the money coach was uh, published in uh, 1992 and um, it was my effort to try to, um, to, um, uh, make the whole process of financial planning and investments as, as easy and simple as I could. Uh, I chose to take a route different than Dave Chilton took when he told it kind of as a story. My goal was to uh, present it in a way that was kind of visually attractive. Hmm. The model that I used was U USA Today with their many charts and, and uh, you know, kind of uh, a cartoon type uh, uh, descriptions. And um, the interesting story behind that one was that uh, I, I had done some publishing previously, uh, textbook publishing when I was still in education. Uh, and so I wrote this book and I took it to many of the publishers that I had worked with, McGraw-Hill and Cobb Clark and others that I had worked with um, when I was publishing in the educational field, and none of them were interested. They, this, this book has no, it's got, there's nothing to it. It's, uh, we're not interested. So a friend of mine uh, had tried a similar kind of attack. And so what I did was I went to Jim O'Donnell, who was at the time president of McKenzie Financial. Um, and uh, Darren, I know you'll remember him and what a marketing guru he was. Mm -hmm. And um, he liked the idea and he decided that he would, uh, he would uh, commit to buying uh, 5,000 copies of, of the book, which would have made it by Canadian standards an immediate bestseller. <laughs> then, interestingly enough, uh, I went back and you know what? Every single publisher was so interested in publishing this book <laughs> now that they had a signed contract and at least 5,000 sales. So uh, Jim then added another 5,000 uh, 5, copies and it was distributed to uh, 
uh, McKenzie supporters in the financial services industry across the country, uh, and that led to uh, that led to uh, six six editions, uh, bookstores everywhere, and uh, finally uh, back in about 2000, I, I guess it was, uh, Asante itself published 10,000 copies of The Money Coach. Wow, I didn't know. This is great information yeah. here. This is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and so you. it's still relevant today? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I, uh, a lot of charts and so on would be dated today, mm -hmm. but certainly the concepts would right. be very much the same. Pay yourself first, you know, that uh, the rule of 72. Yeah. Uh, those are all timeless kinds, of, uh, <laughs> timeless kinds of things. So, yeah. uh, yes, uh, the charts would need to be updated, but the concepts remain strong, I think. You know, I think that um, for me personally, somebody who's interested in, you know, financial services and, and uh, that type of thing, it's so important that we teach our young children mm. about finances. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. uh, again, my 20-year-old 20, 20 who I work with a lot, uh, we do have a lot of conversations and he is really, you know, loves to read this type of thing. And I just wish more young people, more schools mm -hmm. coming from the education field, right? Mm -hmm. This is the type of stuff we need yeah. to teach kids. Schools, that must, yeah. like, yeah. it drives me batty <laughs> that we don't teach our children about finances and budgeting cash let flow. me tell you a story tina if i may yes please when i was uh when i was still in education a director of education i uh, i believe the same thing and uh i used what i uh thought was an opportunity and perhaps some leverage that i might have had as a director of education with the uh, ontario ministry of education saying exactly the same thing that you did. Uh, let's make let's make our curriculum relevant, please. Mm -hmm. uh, let's not teach Latin to the exclusion of financial literacy. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, that went nowhere. And frankly, it was one of the many contributing factors to my decision to leave public education. Mm -hmm. I thought that I could still be an educator, but uh, kind of on a one-on-one -on -one situation with some clients, and I could really help them and perhaps their children as well. And that was part of the thinking that was behind the money coach. It was intended mm -hmm. as a very basic introduction to financial literacy. And it did, it did, uh, it did resonate with people for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Cause I just, it is super frustrating. Yeah. And, and it's not, it's not something that doesn't come up. Like people say this all, all the, the time. time. <laughs> They're like, well, how does this not exist in grade 12 or 11? You know, nine. Remember, you and I have joked about it where, you know, in, when I first went to university, uh, the, that was my first, you know, introduction to, to financials, which credit was credit card. Exactly. <laughs> Do you want a credit card? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. um, there, so there was one one other question. Do, yeah. you, do you want to get into the um, uh, the Russia thing? I don't the, know. No, I, I don't want to get we, into anything political. But we did <laughs> we did notice. No, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, we'll save that one for another day. How's okay. that? Right. We, we we were intrigued well, because of what's happening yeah. in the world today. So I don't want to talk about Russia. Nothing what's happening today? Yeah. Yeah. But I wanted to talk nothing about nothing political. Fact, so. Nothing political today. Nothing political about that book at all. It was simply that back uh, in the early 1970s, uh, there was a course on, on Russia introduced into Ontario schools uh, at the high school level. And because it was a new course, there, there were no textbooks that had been, had been published. Uh, everything uh, was more at the college level. 
And so uh, a friend of mine and I, we were both history teachers at the time, and we took the idea to a publisher. And once again, with a with a new uh, course being introduced, uh, they knew that there would be significant sales, and it would in fact in fact be filling a need. So uh, yes, we we co-authored a textbook called Russia: Car Czars uh, and Commissars, and it was introduced uh, in the early 1970s in the Ontario curriculum. Interesting. Wow. Interesting. Wow. And and um, it's it's interesting to look at the how books are published today with Amazon. <laughs> You know, yeah. and 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 the ease at which mm -hmm. people can publish books as compared to like uh, 20, 30 years ago, where you had to go through a publishing house mm -hmm. and and it was a Paperback, little back yeah. always. Like Darren has just published a book. Yes, and um, yeah. and Amazon did it. Yeah, it's, it was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's pros and cons to it, yeah. obviously, but uh, I think it does make the entry level easier for writers. Yeah. And speaking of which, uh, Riley, do you have any uh, insight? Are you thinking about writing another book at all? Uh, not at this time. I did I did a follow-up to the four phases of retirement, which was called the 10 lessons, uh, how you too can squeeze all the juice out of retirement. Oh. And what I what I felt was that in, in the uh, in the four phases of retirement, I I interviewed, as I say, dozens and dozens of people, uh, but I didn't really have an opportunity because it's a very concise book. It can be read within 45 minutes or so, which sure, is one of the quick. things people like most about it. Uh, I, I didn't have a chance really to get in too much in depth with, with some of the individual uh, uh, interviewers, interviewees. And so I did publish a couple of years later, uh, The Ten Lessons, which was a more in-depth uh, analysis, I guess, of uh, some of the conversations that I had, and I extrapolated from them 10 lessons that uh, experienced retirees uh, had taught me. Excellent. So that combination is kind of where it stands right now. Um, the, the time may come. I, I can't say that I have another one that's uh, kind of in the works, but um, always open and interested in looking at other possibilities for sure. Well, Dr. Moynes, we thank you so much. I can't wait. I want to have you back on again, and I'm going to go buy those books and read them myself yeah. because I uh, I think I'm getting close. Yeah. and and They're uh, available on Amazon.com. Perfect. Sorry. That's I want to know where I got them. Thank Amazon. you. Amazon. Oh, there you go. You say? <laughs> no, I was, I was also going to say or we're on we're, my website. Yeah, and we're going to put a link to those uh, to your website on the mycleanbreak.ca yeah. website yeah. Uh, section for books, Thanks, uh, so people can connect with you there. Uh, it's exciting, you know, and 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 your theme uh, follows our new theme, which is mm -hmm. life transitions, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that was the most uh, powerful part of having you on on the show today was to talk a little bit about the what probably the biggest transition people go through is retirement, right. and and I. I thought that the yep. site, like so many people are spoken to about the financial side of it. Yep. And no whereas way. the psycholo psychological side of yeah. it is so much, uh, so much more important yeah. and a bigger piece to it. Right. Right. Yeah. So thank you for being on the show. We appreciate it. Yeah. My thank pleasure. You. Thanks for inviting me. It's been yeah. a pleasure as well. Yeah. Our pleasure. Back for for sure. now, folks. All right. Okay. Thank Thanks. you. So everyone else listening, uh, you can you can find more uh, more professionals on our webpage, more blogs, more podcasts uh, to help you get through your transitions that you might be going through right now. And until next time, we're going to say thank you so much for joining us and take care of yourselves, take care of the people around you. And Tina and I will see you on the other side of the mic. Absolutely. 
You've been listening to Clean Break, our weekly podcast on life transitions. You can find more topics like today's and other great advice from life transition professionals at mycleanbreak.ca, where we upload audio, video, and blog content every week. MyCleanBreak.ca has clear and simple advice from trusted local professionals to help you get to the other side of any transition.